Church of God in Corinth, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of Jesus Christ. Good morning, Watermark and family. My name is John Elmore. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and happy Sunday. So good to be with you all as we continue our journey through 1 Corinthians. And so to start with that, I want to tell you a little story about a journey that Laura and I were on. So Laura was diagnosed with breast cancer. She's fine now. But when we were going through that, uh, our plan of care became surgery and radiation, biopsies, the works. And in addition to that, we had, like, through many sources, recommend to us that carrot juice uh, is a holistic treatment. Now, some of you are rolling your eyes and some of you are like, amen. Uh, there's different opinions on that. But carrot juice has been known to, or what's in it, rather, has been known to break down some of the cancer cells. And so, like a job, uh, my brother and sister-in-law gave us a juicer that would extract the juice from five pounds of carrot every day for three months. <laughs> That's a lot. I don't know if you've looked at a five-pound bag of carrots recently. And so this would take like two hours to juice the carrots, so much so that a Watermark girl, Erin O'Connor, was like, hey, I'll, I'll be there and I will help juice because I'm like, I gotta go to work. I can't like keep stuffing these carrots. <laughs> Laura, um, at first, it was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. It's like fresh and we'd, make, we'd refrigerate the carrots. It was cold, it was nice. Then about three weeks in, and by the way, five pounds of carrots yields like 48 ounces of carrot juice. That's a lot, two big bottles. Three weeks in, she would take the second one to her mouth and be like, oh, and be like, baby, you gotta drink that because I spent two hours on it. <laughs> Carrots are like so inexpensive. But I was like, you have to, I'm invested in that personally, drink it. And she's like, okay, like drinking it. So it was creating nausea, like it was making her sick, but even, even her like, primary care physician, awesome watermark lady was like, hey, maybe you need to dial back some of those like, ingredients. We're like, no, we got to power through. In addition to that, she started to get this like clown makeup orange tint around her, her lips. So people were like, mm, cool, like, trying a new shade, like hard season, new shade lipstick. That's great. Uh, it's just this orange tint that was about her. And the deal is like, it wasn't even the juice. It was the nutrients in the juice. I'm sure we could have gone to Whole Foods and just bought something, but we kept hearing carrot juice. And so we stuck with the delivery mechanism rather than going for the nutrients. I tell you that this morning because we are in the same spiritual danger, the exact same spiritual danger, that if we focus too much on the delivery or the delivery mechanism, or on the process, rather than the nutrients, the spiritual food and nourishment within, we also, much like Laura, will become spiritually sick. And even in the overprocessing, the cross can lose its power. That's what we're gonna learn today from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. And the outline that we're gonna walk through is priority preference, and power. So here it is uh, more expanded. The priority of unity, the problem of preference, and where power is lost and found. Priority, preference, and power. Because here is what we are to be about, is that we're to be unified in Christ alone. And to focus too much on a pastor or on preaching means diluting 
of the power of the cross, which is what the scripture will say. So verse 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter one, as we walk through uh, this first portion, which is a unified community in the church. So here it is, the priority, the priority of unity. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, I appeal to you brothers, he's reminding them, in, in the Greek it's brothers and sisters, when you see that word Adelphoi, he's saying, he's like, you're family. You're not disparate friends or neighbors, you're family under Christ. I appeal to you brothers and sisters, family, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Now, we're gonna read later in 1 Corinthians chapter eight that there's differences over food sacrificed to idols and some deem that it's fine and some are okay, like, hey, that is off limits, and others are like, no, it's, it's okay, it's an idol's nothing. So what this can't be is uniformity, that all of us, like a cult in a robotic system, are like, we all say and do the same thing, but on one matter, he says, Unity is the priority in this one matter. So I'll say it this way. If you're quarreling, you're already losing in this regard. And some are willing to win the argument and lose the relationship. My kids, they, they quarrel like, like it's second nature uh, at eight, six, and four. Everything's a battle except it's not second nature, it's first nature. It's their sin nature. And so whether it's like choosing seats in my wife's car, or what movie we're gonna watch on family fun night, or where we go out to eat, or who gets to brush their teeth first. I'm like, how, why are you even rushing to line for that? I thought you would dread it. Like everything is a battle. And then sometimes, like everything aligns, and, and Judd, our four-year-old, literally last weekend, on family fun night where we're like, we'll go out to eat and then we'll rent a movie, watch it together. He goes, Dad, it's Penny's turn to choose the movie. I was like, who are you and what have you done with my four-year-old son? Like, the fact that he would defer to his sister and be like, it's Penny's turn. It was shocking, but it was gold as a parent, like, oh my goodness, you're unified. This is incredible. You're deferring to one another. You're gonna, you're gonna agree on something. And it was so, so beautiful. And so this unity that Paul is appealing for that is the priority is about Jesus. And he says right there, he doesn't say just, hey, brothers and sisters, I appeal to you, be unified. He says, there's a parenthetical, he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he slaps down a feet, that really hurt, by the way, on the back of my hand. Probably just broke something. On the, uh, he drops this theological trump card, different than elsewhere in the letter. And he's like, hey, on some things, there's gonna be differences, and you're gonna defer to each other in love. In this one, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, agree, be unified. And he goes nuclear, that they would listen and that they would act. And it's no surprise, right, that he would say be unified on Christ, that priority of unity is essential. Because when you look back at John chapter 17, Jesus is going to the cross, and the one thing that he keeps praying for to the Father, again, going to the cross, like pressure reveals priority. Just like when a house is on fire, you're like, I'm grabbing the Bible and our family photo album, or in this case, now these days, your iPhone that has your photos. 
But pressure reveals priority. And here, going to the cross, he, there's this refrain throughout John 17 in the great priestly prayer. And he says, Father, I pray that they, would, that they the church, would be one as you and I, as we are one. I pray that they would be one as we are one. I pray that they'd be one as we are one. And he's saying the priority is unity. Laura and I, when we were dating, we were at uh, her grandfather's place in Colorado. And uh, we, in our dating, it wasn't just like all just like love and whatever. There was, there was a disagreement or some kind of disunity. I don't even know what it was about. But I was like, I need some space. And she's like, I need some space. And so, by the way, little sidebar, if you're dating and you're like, we never fight, everything's awesome. One of you is lying. <laughs> you, you, you have sin, conflict is okay. So anyway, I'm like, hey, I'm gonna run an errand with your grandfather. As we're running the errand, we're like buying some bread in the local bakery. And all of a sudden, his phone starts blowing up, my phone starts blowing up. I'm like, what is going on? Hello? She doesn't even say hello. There's a bear in the house, there's a bear in the house. And all of a sudden it's like, boom. Bread is done, back in the car, driving as fast as we can, you know, like honking the horn as we pull up to the house. I send the grandfather in, I'm like, you get it. <laughs> no, we're dating, I'm like, I got this! I'm gonna get mauled by a bear to try to get her hand in marriage. Uh, the bear had already left and it, it like wandered off. But it was like pounding on the door and in that moment, pressure revealed priority. And all of a sudden it's like, I don't care what we're quarreling about. It doesn't even matter. Like, I love you, I wanna be with you, I wanna protect you, we're together, period. And here, this bearer of a problem was preference. That within the church, instead of the priority of unity, this bearer of a problem had waltzed in and it was preference. And specifically, this really disgusting preference of people, preference of the people within the church. And so if that was the priority, what was standing in the way, it was a problem, and it was the problem of preference. First Corinthians 11, 1, 11 and following, he's gonna tell us what it is. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, can I have a water, Jeremy? Just, uh, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, broken hand, need water, I'm falling apart up here, somebody pray that there's quarreling among you. My brothers and sisters, he says it again. Hey, I'm reminding you, your family, come on. What I mean is each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, which is a, a Aramaic name for Peter, or I follow Christ. He's like super spiritual guy, like no, 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 I follow Jesus. And you're like, oh, okay, great, we all do. We're just through Paul and whatever. You're still part of the problem. Is Christ divided? He's now gonna ask some questions. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? This is crazy, what he's about to say. I thank God. Remember, this is Paul by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is inspiring these words. I thank God that I did not baptize none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say you were baptized in my name. And then he's like, oh, I forgot. I did remember, I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. <laughs> the Spirit does remind you of things. <clears throat> He's like, don't lie, Paul, there was Stephanus. The problem of preference. In this passage, did you see the words? Some of you say, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, oh, I follow Jesus. I, 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 I. No, it's we. 
I think if the, 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 the one who was trying to be uber spiritual would have said, we follow Jesus, everything would have been fine. But because they're like, I follow Jesus. It's like, great, you're part of the problem too. And the other thing was, it was this problem against unity as they were choosing people instead of the person, Jesus. This was a preference of pastor or preacher that was the problem because it works against the priority of unity which Paul is appealing for in the name of Jesus. So you got Paul the pastor. He's the one that planted the church. And so a lot of people are like, dude, the whole reason why we're even here is because Paul came to Corinth. Like, so he's our guy. Other people in this Greek system, culture that they were living in, in the town of Corinth, were like, man, we, we follow Apollos. Like, he's a really exceptional orator. Like, when he delivers the good news, I'm listening. I like it. And others were like, no, no, I'm following Peter, Cephas. He's the legend, dog. Like, he walked on water. Did you know that? He was the one that saw the transfiguration. Brother said, Jesus, should we build a tent so y'all can stay here? Like, that's crazy. He's the one that pulled out the sword and cut off Malchus's ear. Like, Peter stands for something. I'm gonna follow Peter. And one's like, y'all are suckers. I follow Jesus. And every single one of them was an error because they were, pick, they were creating this quad-partisan church where they were separated over who they follow. And it was a huge problem. And so Paul asked these rhetorical, shameful questions and says, was Jesus divided? Answer, no, he's unified. Was Paul crucified for you? Why are you claiming allegiance to me? It's to be to Christ. Were you baptized in my name? And I think by way of application, like I've done this. I literally did it last week. I was talking to a guy and we knew the same person. And I said, oh, did you know he officiated our wedding? And some of that is probably innocent. Like, man, we just have mutual ground. Like he's such a good friend, that's what he did. And then others is like, well, you know, he did my wedding. Well, you know who I was baptized by. You know who my son received his first communion from. Do you know who... And it's just all this focus and preference on a pastor or preacher that is poison to the church. And we do this when we elevate the servant over Christ, when we elevate delivery and Apollos' sake over Christ, when we elevate status in Peter's sake over Christ. And so the preference of pastor and preacher was the problem, but it's still the problem. And what it creates is spiritual tribalism spiritual pride, spiritual ego in the part of the communicator, and it's all so dangerous. You think this was a problem 2,000 years ago? They, they had Paul, Apollos, and Peter. They had three. Y'all, we've got Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, every message that's ever been delivered that we can find online with a quick Google search. And so whether it's Piper or Chandler or, or any amount of pastor that you wanna follow and then we become so ingrained like, dude, they're the one. And we become fanboys or fangirls rather than giving all of our love and affection to Jesus. And it's not, I mean, if, if you were to talk to those men individually, or maybe it's Jenny Allen or Beth Moore, like if you were to talk to them, they'd be like, don't follow me, follow Jesus. I'm just proclaiming Christ. It was the problem and it is the problem. And so we have this thing now that we even call celebrity pastor which is such a travesty and a heresy against this specific verse. The only celebration should be of Jesus. By way of story, so we love a restaurant called Whistlebritches. 
Uh, they're probably about to get slammed because I mentioned it in a, <laughs> in a message. It's this amazing like southern chicken place. And there's a waitress there named Brianna and she's awesome and we love her. But we go, no offense Brianna, because of whistle bridges. We go because of the food. We aren't like on Friday night rolls around and like, let's go see Brianna. The way she sets down those plates, <laughs> the way she kind of turns back whenever I say, can I have another refill? It's not about that. We go for the food. We're going for the nourishment. She's just the way by which we get it. And we've got to be reminded of that as we're prone to being drawn towards preference rather than unity. Preference of pastor or preacher is toxic for these reasons. And let's just address something like it's weird for me to be a pastor and preaching while saying this, this message. But it's so, so good and I believe it with all my heart. Because preference, here's one of the first reasons that it's toxic. Preference puts a person on a pedestal in your heart where only Jesus should reign. And I'll tell you that if you pedestal a pastor in your heart and they become something that they shouldn't be, they go beyond what they should be as just a servant of God, as the scriptures will make clear a little later in 1 Corinthians, then it's sin, and you're setting yourself up for some real sorrow, because they will disappoint you, they will sin against you, they won't deliver in the way that you hoped they would have, or worse than that, they will take the place on the seat of your heart that only Jesus should have. They're simply servants. This past weekend, or on Friday, really, uh, Laura calls, and she's like, help, the bathroom, the, the toilet's overflowing. It's coming out of the bathtub. It's like disgusting, right? By the way, she would want me to say she wasn't using it. Uh, she was running laundry and the whole, all the water was messed up. And so I'm, I'm cheap enough that I've got an auger and a snake and all these tools. You're like, last week you almost burned your house down with a circular saw and now you're, so anyway, I've got this auger and I've, it's a big stick with a, wire. Anyway, I put it down in there and I'm cranking it and I'm, it's like stuck. And I'm like, what in the world is down there? Again, we have small kids. You know what I pulled out? A green balloon. That's not what they're to be used for. There are four green balloons. Don't worry. This isn't the actual one. You're like, I have a preference of pastor. It's not you. Uh, I was at a birthday party last night for a kid. And I was like, is that balloon green? I'm colorblind. And they're like, no, it's aqua. And I'm like, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> I need a green balloon. I pull out this green balloon, and the reason why I share that is because a green balloon's great, right? Like my kids, they love a green balloon. That's fun. Apparently they love them so much, sometimes they get tired of them, they flush them. But a green balloon is a whole lot of fun. At the birthday party last night, they're all playing with them. And, and uh, that green balloon that's so much fun, it's, it's, an, it's good, when it gets put in the wrong place, it jams the whole thing. And so it is with a pastor, and it doesn't matter if it's somebody that you, you podcast or follow, or if it's somebody here, if that good thing, and I'm not saying that I or TA or Blake are, 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 are good, but if a good thing is put in the wrong place, it will jam your heart, your spiritual vitality. Because though it's fine and good, put in the wrong place, it's really, really destructive. When I was serving in regeneration, sometimes you know, I'd have interactions with people and they'd be writing out their testimony that they were gonna share from the stage with over a thousand people. And they would be like, 
And that one time when John Elmore talked to me in the coffee shop, I'm like, you can't do that. I'm not letting you use my name. One, it's not good for me. And two, it's not good for the thousand people who are gonna hear it, that somehow they're gonna get tied to the fact that, well, man, it seems like his problems went away when he had a conversation with John, so I need to too. I'm not the solution, Jesus is the solution. And so I would not let people use my name in their testimony, because I'm like, testify to Christ. He, he's gonna use a waitress, or an Uber driver, or your grandfather, or, or your pastor, or, or your community group, or your spouse, or your children. He's gonna use a great number of people. He might even use a talking donkey. But we testify to the one true God. He is the one that gets the praise. Preference puts a person on a pedestal in your heart. Preference also puts problems into the body of Christ by creating dividing lines of disunity. This is really funny. The first time after TA, Timothy Atik, our other teaching pastor taught, um, I, was, I was walking on a, on a Monday after he taught on that first Sunday, and somebody's like, John, John, hey, hey, you got a second? I'm like, yeah, what's up? And they're like, dude, dude, TA was amazing. And I was like, I know, it's so good, right? We're so glad he's here. And, and uh, the guy goes, you got some serious competition. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, come here, man, come here. I, I think I know what you mean. He is an amazing teacher of God's word. I'm so glad he's here. But let me make super clear, there's no competition between us. We're partners in the gospel. There is no competition. Like I'm not threatened by him, I am fed by him. I love it when he teaches. And the guy was like, yeah, but he's amazing, right? <laughs> He didn't say that. Uh, it was a good conversation. And if you're the one that said it, honestly, I have no idea who even said it. I'm, I, I like truly don't. It was, it was funny to me. But I think that's what happens. And so about a month ago, probably with that running in my subconscious, I was like, you know what? Take this, spiritual preference and spiritual pride. I jump on Instagram, which I'm rarely on, and I change my title to, uh, instead of just like pastor, to pastor with Timothy Atik. Because I want people to be like, hey, we're in this together at Watermark. Like, there, there is not one or the other. Like, we're partners for the gospel. And so, at Corinth, you got to think about this. Likely, they also had a few interconnected house churches. I mean, it's relatively small. Just like they had three pastors that had rolled through town, they had a small amount of churches. Here in Dallas, we have 1,000 churches. Uh, Google would say 1,200. I don't know what the exact number is, but there's a lot, a whole lot for the population of Dallas, but that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But what can happen is, is we can start to have spiritual pride or spiritual elitism or spiritual exceptionism, like, well, we're the ones that kind of got this on lock. Like, we're reading a little closer than everybody else. And sometimes our pastor drops in a little Greek and you're done, or whatever it is. And we can start to think, because of our methodology, that we are better than and it's sin. It is grotesque sin. Just like having preference works against unity as far as a preacher or pastor, preference of a church works against disunity. As Jesus said, I pray that they, meaning all believers of all time, the church universal, would be one. And if we start to step forward and be like, yep, but first among equals, he's like, no. No, actually, you're in sin, the sin of spiritual pride. 
and you need to be humbled. And so we celebrate with our brothers and sisters in Christ in this city and throughout the nations. I think about Adam Griffin, another pastor at Eastside Community Church. Maybe some of you know him. It's an incredible church. Well, just now, as churches are dividing and splitting, like that's what we hear about most in the news, and and it's sad, it's a sad state. You know what just happened with Eastside? Schofield Memorial Church, that's over 100 years old, and Eastside Community Church just joined. Instead of splitting, they joined. And they're gonna be our neighbors, like right over here. And like TA, we're not threatened by that, we rejoice in that as our brothers and sisters come together to reach the city with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Preference also, oh, 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 I've got to share this. So also about spiritual elitism. So in college, I'll never forget, our, I mean, I don't remember a lot from Pledgeship because of the intensity and also because of the years of drinking, but our chaplain of our fraternity on, on, uh, he would always just beat into our heads, NBJD, NBJD. Still, I'm 46, I still hear it like I was 18 again, NBJD. You know what it stood for? No better, just different. Not better, just different. You know who the chaplain was? Chaplain of our fraternity? It was Blake Holmes. <laughs> Blake Holmes, while I was a drunk idiot, he's walking with the Lord, shepherding me then and then again now. And in the same way, our church, no better, just different, fall in the same Jesus. Preference also puts problems of spiritual ego into the preacher or pastor, which is the sin of Satan. Satan wanted to get glory instead of give glory. And so it can be a trap. Sometimes people walk up and they'll like pull you aside and be like, hey, uh, you're our favorite. And it doesn't tell them doesn't tell me something about me, it tells me something about them that this passage is speaking against. It's like, no, no, let Jesus be your favorite. I'm just like the waiter slinging plates, but the nourishment comes from Jesus. And so the pastor or preacher, as you pedestal them, will either fall prey to flattery or insecurity or worse. We're servants of Jesus. But here, most importantly and devastatingly, Preference is losing power by choosing a person. Preference, most devastatingly, is losing power by choosing a person. And this is the next part of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. Paul says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the good news, the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And so you have, backing up, the priority is unity. He wants unity in Christ. That's who we're following. Priority, then preference. Preference is the problem. To have preferential in your heart is going to create problems, and then he's gonna say, and this is where power is found and where it can be lost. So power, where it's lost and found. The gospel proclaimed, heard, received, believed upon, and then shared is utmost. Baptism is secondary. It is the result of having received the gospel. When someone places their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, the step of obedience is to be baptized. But foremost is the gospel, and then a fruit of the gospel 
is the obedience of baptism. And so Paul says this crazy thing where he says, I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you other than Crispus Gaius and the household of Stephanus. Which is weird, right? Like, man, you got a pastor thanking God that he didn't baptize people? But the reason being is because he was called to preach. Anyone, any believer can baptize. Because in Matthew 28, as Jesus gives the great commission to the church, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. This is the great commission, the call upon the life of every believer. He's like, you don't need me to baptize. And if your heart is like, yeah, but I want Paul to baptize me or Cephas, that'd be pretty legit if he was on my baptism certificate. It's like, no, you've already lost unity because you're choosing preference. You've got favoritism and you're losing power when you do that. And so let anyone baptize. The baptism is in Christ that he would get the glory. It's a public proclamation that you're united with Christ and has nothing to do with the one dipping you in the water. And so he's going strong on that. He then says, not with words of eloquent wisdom or the cross will be emptied or deprived of force. In the Greek, it's deprived of force. Like, to put all these eloquent words of wisdom upon something will just devalue what is the most potent force in all of human history. You see, here in Corinth, being Greeks, they valued rhetoric and philosophy. There were paid entertainers who were professional orders who would come and deliver magnificent speeches in the amphitheaters. And Apollos, being a Greek, had likely some of that training. And so the eloquence which with he could deliver things. And Paul's saying, don't put your faith, don't put your preference, don't put anything in any value humanly, but rather in the cross of Jesus Christ. And in view there, when he talks about the cross, it's always with the Savior unto resurrection, altogether. But that it could somehow be emptied of its power if we do. And so there's a truth and application here for me and TA, or anyone that ever teaches from the stage, and there's a truth and application for you as the congregation in the body of Christ. The one for us is, is that illustrations and stories or, or moments when we can laugh together, uh, those are good because they're helpful. Jesus taught with illustrations, Paul taught with illustrations. It makes it sticky, it makes it memorable. So that when you think about a sparrow, you're like, oh, if God cares for the sparrow and not one of them falls to the ground apart from the Father's will, then he cares for me too. Oh, the flowers of the field. If I'm worrying about what I'm gonna wear, what I'm gonna eat, where I'm gonna live, look at the flowers of the field. God has clothed them in more greater garments than even Solomon. He's gonna care for me too. Paul writes about the body in 1 Corinthians 12 and said it's all unified. The hand can't say to the body, I don't need you. It's all unified under the headship of Christ. He's giving us these sticky stories, but if the stories ever become in a place of our heart, well, I really want them to like me. And I really, I really just am feeling insecure and it feels like this passage really isn't enough. And so, I, you know, I gotta, I gotta really draw them in for me. And I feel like there's not enough punch here, so let me try to bring in some theatrics, some dr- whatever it is, then that's a heart condition, and it's sin. 
and it empties the cross of its power because it's so covered in icing and junk that you don't even get the sustenance therein. But the truth and application is also for you because are we listening to be entertained or are we listening to be sanctified? Are we listening and evaluating in our heart and in our mind, I really like this. Or are we listening in our heart and mind like, I really need this. Are we here to hear from God who holds all things together, who loves you, who speaks by the power of the Holy Spirit through the inerrant eternal word? Or are we here to hear something that might be a little entertaining on a Sunday morning because we just come on Sundays because that's what we do. The transmission that I give has no ability to transform. My transformation, my transmission can bring no transformation. It's only the Lord who can do this. When Paul was teaching just after this, he leaves Corinth and he goes to Ephesus. And as he's teaching, it says he taught all through the night. And at midnight, as he's teaching, a dude named Eutychus is sitting in the window, just kind of chilling, falls out and dies. It's the epitome of Paul bored him to death. And I think sometimes in a lot of churches in America, including ours, I was immune to this. I think if Paul came and taught, I think we'd be like, meh, kind of boring. It wasn't really engaging. I feel like his points were a little too theological and not quite in our vernacular. I don't know. A lot of Old Testament kind of bounced back and forth. Because we're thinking so much about the transmission rather than our transformation. We're placing preference over the person rather than over Jesus. There was a man in the Ukraine just now in this conflict that they find themselves in with Russia. His name is Vitaly Vladimir. Vitaly Vladimir, as the Russian tank troops were coming across, they're approaching this bridge to one of the port cities in the south. Vitaly grabs ordnance. He grabs bombs and runs onto the bridge and detonates because there wasn't time to secure it, bring back a wire or with remote and lays down his life to blow up the bridge to stop the advance of the enemy. That is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, seeing the advance of our enemy, sin, death, Satan, the flesh, hell forever, runs onto the bridge, separating us between all of that and God, and lays down his life, though he had done no evil, to stop the advance of the enemy, that we could be saved and rescued by God. And so the power of the cross has nothing to do with any person other than Jesus. The power of the cross forgives sins. The power of the cross removes guilt. The power of the cross imputes and gives you Christ's righteousness. The power of the cross silences the enemy. The power of the cross says that the enemy has been disabled. The power of the cross, God's wrath has passed over. The power of the cross, our guilt has been atoned for by the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus. 
the power of the cross, Jesus goes to his death that we might go to life. The power of the cross is that we who were enemies and foes of God, he might become our father and we would become friends of God. This is the power of the cross, lest it be emptied of any power. And make no mistake, the cross can't be emptied of its power. It simply can be covered by man's failed attempts. But it will remain. And so with Laura and that carrot juice, after making it you know, two hours to make this batch, I was, at, I was at the grocery store once and I see this like organic carrot juice. I was like, well, that'd be easier. So I grab it, take it home, and it's, it's sweet. It's carrot juice. But it had been so processed with so many additives that it wasn't good. It had lost its potency because of all the processing. And even though my preference would have been to grab that, it's like, no, we need the potency of the gospel. And the stuff is, it's intense to drink, that carrot juice, but the potency is there. And so it is with the preaching of the gospel. It's offensive. We're saying to the world, you are a sinner in need of a savior. You have sin in your life that needs to be forgiven, or when you die, you will face judgment and spend eternity in hell. And that can be hard to drink. That's not quite as palatable as the world would have it. But we do harm to the gospel and to our unbelieving neighbors if we try to overly process, add a bunch of sugars and additives just to make it a little more palatable that it wouldn't be potent. So church, let's be unified, let's put away preference, and let's let the power be in Jesus Christ alone, crucified and raised again and coming again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truths in 1 Corinthians 1 that you have passed to us, that we also would be unified under the headship of Jesus Christ our Lord, that we would have no preference of person, that we would have no preference even of, of, a, of a prideful spiritual elitism or exceptionalism, but rather we would see the church as one. Because biblical authority is right, but biblical, but to have church arrogance is wrong, it's sin. So Lord, we confess that before you, we repent of it, we wanna follow you. And Lord, I pray that from this stage or any podcast or message we would ever listen to, the power of Christ upon the cross raised again would have the potency to sanctify, to raise the dead, and to reach the nations. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen.